Welcome back to the Commission Podcast and to our first recap episode. My name is Adam, and on this one, we want to circle back a bit and chat about some of the common threads and themes running through the first three episodes and take a look at those from a network perspective. We really hope you enjoy these first three episodes and we're able to get a little bit of an insight into what church planting in London looks like, some of the joys and some of the challenges that these people on the front lines face, and also some of the ways that you can be involved in these church plants through prayer, going along on a church plant, or through financial support. So uh, welcome, Perks. Hey, Adam. Good to be back. Yes. Hello, everyone. When I say everyone, what I really mean is, hi, mom. Yeah. <laughs> we can at least count on both of our moms listening well, to this. As an international audience. Yes. Yeah. My Span- folks will be listening. Spanning the Atlantic. Exactly. Uh, okay. So in this shorter format episode, we'll look at some of the common threads running through the last three episodes and talk about uh, what that means for church planters. We've seen a lot of contextual variety in the church planting, which is a great thing. It's necessary, isn't it? If we are to reach London with the gospel, we are going to have to go into different contexts. So historically, although we were started from a sort of southwest London suburban context, we have to go into different contexts because not everywhere looks like Rains Park or Wimbledon. So what have we got? We've looked at, well, in one sense, I'm slightly undermining myself at this point by saying we went into southeast London zone for Beckenham, but that is a kind of it's, I guess it's a little bit like Wimbledon in the sense that it's a town, has its own identity. But Vauxhall's very different. Vauxhall is a, an inner city estate, socioeconomically somewhat deprived, certainly less fortunate than, than some suburban contexts. And then, of course, you've got Elephant and Castle, which Alex would describe as a multicultural melting pot, where you've got historic African Caribbean heritage immigration. You've got white working class, blue collar. Uh, influence, but also the regeneration there is extraordinary. And the rate at which that's happened over the last five years with the whole of Elephant and Castle development, where you've got city workers who are probably 15 minutes perhaps commute from the city there. Those are three different contexts. Now, if we're going to reach London, we have to go into different places because London's full of gloriously different places Mm. in which we can't cut and paste. We have to have churches that that are sensitive to, that understand the different cultural contexts into which they're mm. planting. Yeah, I think that's a, there's a really good point there in finding people who bring a diversity of thinking and church mentality into these different contexts to be successful uh, for the varied landscape. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. In other words, we don't want to suggest that we know how to plant churches so come to us and learn from us. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we also want to say we've made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Come and learn from us how not to do it. But there is a culture within commission of the way in which we church plant. There's just a way of doing things that we don't have to spend long discussing. So in other words, it's risk embracing. It's evangelistically driven. Actually, it's high cost you know it's high sacrifice people understand you've got to put in the hard yards the fact that we don't know for certain how things are going to end up doesn't mean we're not going to start it to begin with but at the same time we also want to have some some planning in place but it's not planned to the nth detail i think ultimately and i think you'd agree with this that we're what we're trying to do is not just plant and revitalize churches that's a vehicle for a mission um and the, the yeah. mission is to reach the lost and to share the good news of Jesus with people. Uh, and specifically, 
uh, our mission is to the people of London. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think it's one of those things where you, you have to be carefully nuanced, though, don't you? So in other words, I, I don't want to be heard to be saying the church is merely a means to an end, and the end is saving people, yeah. as though the church is just merely instrumental. I think I want to say it's more than that in, in the New Testament. It is the place where Christ is glorified, where he is u- uniting his people. It is a, a place in which people are discipled. So in, I want to say probably both. It is the means by which we reach a neighborhood, but it is the place in which people are discipled into the likeness of Christ, mm. at the place where his glory is displayed as he puts together people you would not normally expect to see together yeah, um, because they are united in Christ. But absolutely, in other words, the way you've put it is really helpful because it, it corrects the danger of thinking that all we're trying to do is move Christians around the chessboard of London and put churches in places that there aren't churches as though that was, that was it. Yeah. What we're trying to do is put churches in places that haven't got loads of other gospel churches so the people on on the inside can be concerned about the people on the outside. Exactly. So during their growth and becoming more like Christ, they're also sharing that and making more disciples in that area. Yeah. I mean, what is Christ-likeness? You want to give a multifaceted answer to that, but essential in any articulation of what it is to be like the Lord Jesus is to have a heart for the lost. Mm. You know, here, here is God in human flesh who looks at the crowd and sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd, and he has a gut-wrenching compassion on them, such as his love and concern for them. And that and that's what we want to see replicated yeah, yeah. across our churches. We did, me and a couple of the other creatives in the Commission Network put together a film. Go on, tell me about that film. So I think, I'm sure I've seen it. Yeah, we did put together a film called The Hope That London Needs, sort of talking about why we do what we do with church planting, and just sort of hoping that people understand that we're all, we all have a part to play in this. Mm. It's not like, as you said, it's just about church planning. It's about reaching the lost. And it's a multifaceted approach to doing that. And I think we need to be reminded as, as Christians, that's a really good thing. Mm. It's a really good thing. You know, what, what we're doing in sharing the gospel and in planting churches is a really good thing because we've got good news to share. Yeah. And the trouble is we live in a world that sort of particularly in the media, probably perhaps especially in the media, you get the impression that Christianity is bad news for the world. Yeah. Christians are Christians are bad people. And you're thinking, no, 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 this is great. We're offering people the hope of eternal life through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's it's really good news. Yeah. And, and so what we're doing is a really good thing. And I think occasionally we need to remind ourselves of that. Yeah, exactly. So there is a pipeline to find those people to, to go out on these plants. What are those pipelines that exist? Fundamentally. We have to look within our churches for potential pastors and planters. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One, God has entrusted us with those people. We, we must remain open to people who want to come and join us. But at the same time, we need to recognize God has given us some extraordinary human resources, some mm. people to develop and to train. And that's where our ministry training comes in that Andy Mason runs. A number of people in these local congregations have joined that ministry training program. Yeah. So. Um, you know, once once a month, they're down here with Richard Cokin having leadership training. Once a month, they're with Andy Mason up in St. John's, Chelsea for their ministry training day. That's a full day in which there's a variety of people who come in 
cover stuff in a variety of different ways. That's absolutely fabulous. And the churches of commission can send their ministry trainees to that. Uh, and, and that is one of the benefits of being a network. You've got the economies of scale. You can do that. You've got a variety of speakers. But we're continually looking at that, working out how can we do this better? How can we, in particular, train a diversity of cultures? Yeah. So I think it would be probably right to say that the predominant training style has been a sort of graduate, white-collar approach. But we're serious about trying to work out how can we do that differently in order to reach different people, to prepare different types of people for different types of ministry in different types of contexts. Yes. Because we want to reach London. That's that's the critical thing. And London London is gloriously varied. Yes. And I think we we have to take seriously the obligation to look within and mustn't have a mindset which is plundering people from elsewhere. London is not the world. London is significant. It matters to us. It's not the only mission field. And why not find people for the harvest from the harvest? Mm. There is that benefit to the outsiders coming in that, you know, buy into that method and theology around the church planning model that we do that bring a diversity of culture and thinking that enriches sort of what we already have. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, and, you know, look, you go back to the earliest days of commission existed formally, I think, in 2005. And you could argue that actually, in one sense, that the seed was sown in the first church plant, you know, back in when, the, when was it, 94, 95, with Dundonald being planted. Ever since that moment, as soon as the first church was planted, there was similarity of culture, but also dissimilarity. And you know, as the church planting expanded, what you found was broad agreement in what we're trying to do and how we're trying to mm. do it, but, but little nuances and differences. Yeah, if you've been to, I know you have, and I've been to a number of them as well. All the churches are completely different if you walk into them. There's a there's a similar th- thread yeah. that runs through them all, but how they do church, the 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 faces in these churches are very different depending on which church you go to. Yeah, I think that's right, and 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 we we want to preserve that because of the contextual situations that these guys are in. In other words, you can't do, it can't be one size fits all exactly. when you're talking about trying to reach a, a housing estate in Beckentree in sort of suburban Dagenham and you're trying to reach young professionals in Balham. Very um, different context. Who are sort of flat sharing and it, it's just, it's different. And yet it's the same gospel. Yep. It's the same ministry methodology. In other words, it's relational evangelism, Bible teaching, discipleship, prayer, those things are all there, but the richness of the word permeates all. Absolutely, and but how you do that is different. In other words, you know, I would imagine Andy Palmer preaches differently to Rob Newham. Remind who those two people are. Yeah, so that's Balam and Beckentry. Yeah. So the, so that those those guys are similar theological convictions, similar ministry philosophy, but the way they preach has got to be different because the people they're preaching to are different, and we want to preserve that. What we don't want to say is there is one way for example, to teach the Bible, or is there, there is one way to reach your local community. I remember when I first went to Balham, hearing about churches locally down in Tooting doing book tables. And it was like, here is the evangelistic methodology of the book table. And I was like, what? I mean, because for me, if someone puts a, a table with some books on it outside a station or outside WH Smith's or whatever, I'm walking past, I'm busy, I'm not there for that. But down in Tooting, that worked because particularly with a large Muslim population, there was the desire and the willingness and the openness to debate, perhaps to, to sort of confrontation, but actually it was a methodologically, 
evangelistically, that was a, a good place to start, but mm. you, that, you just, that just wouldn't work with commuting young professionals in Balham. And so we don't want to say, oh yes, commission is committed to book tables, cut and paste across all of our congregations. Yeah. That, that's just nuts. No. You just won't reach people in Fullwell, in sort of suburban Teddington, doing that. But you might, you might get them with an evening course with meal and some open discussion. We've got to allow that flexibility, but the concerns are the same, aren't they? We want to reach people who have yet to hear the good news of the gospel with the gospel yep. in a way that we remove as many obstacles that prevent them from doing that as possible. Amazing. Talk about some of that camaraderie that's built up through those guys being involved early on, uh, being part of commission in church planner training, uh, in the ministry training scheme, whatever it is. So the internal recruitment path is sort of you look for people with potential and skills and a desire to want to take ministry further we'd encourage people to do ministry traineeships which in one sense is dip your toe in the world of full-time gospel ministry to find out whether you're suited for that and to grow and develop in that if you are you can go on you perhaps pursue theological education in some way shape or form and wonderfully there are lots of different ways to do that now uh, and then you're looking at, okay, what kind of ministry are you well suited to? Could it be, for example, church planting, starting something from nothing, working in an under-resourced context and looking to grow something? Is that, is that your ministry skill set? Now, that's the internal thing. But in addition to that, where we have church planting opportunities, we'll look to recruit people. And I think one of the things we want to do is commission has to be more than just a relational network of people who happen to have known each other for years and like doing like being a network together and getting it's together. It's very insular that way. Yeah, it is. But it, but it, I think it, it can't be less than that. Mm. A critical component has been to provide these guys with a cohort of people uh, who are involved in similar types of ministries, but in different parts of the mission field, our mission field being London. And it's been marked by extraordinary camaraderie and a commitment to one another in which there has been no evident competitiveness as far as I'm concerned for the years that we've been doing it. So we've been doing church planter training since 2014. It's gone through a number of iterations and we've probably got, uh, we, it's got better and better every year. The bar was set pretty low. But one of the things I think has been remarkable is the support that guys have given to one another. It's not a case of comparing the size of church plants. There's a real concern for one another's well-being, how the family's going, how the church plant's going. And, and that's absolutely critical. So I work on the assumption that leadership is lonely. Church planting leadership is especially lonely. And you just, the danger is you feel isolated. So one of the driving sort of commitments for me is not necessarily the delivery of a curriculum of material, but really an excuse to get the guys together with some degree of regularity so that they can see each other, they can talk about stuff, they can think about stuff, they can pray about stuff, and they feel someone's got my back. Someone else is doing something similar to me this is something to look forward to. So I wanted guys to look forward to church planter training. You know, many of these, these pastors spoke about the, the support that being part of a network gives them. And we've talked a bit about the, the camaraderie, some of the training, that sort of thing, uh, where there's others to bounce ideas off of, share frustrations, have a group of people praying for them, which is really critical. Uh, what are some of the other ways that, that being part of the network support them that you've seen through their growth through their process of planting? I think the first thing to say is commission is not the only church planting network 
And it's not the only church planting network in London. I have great friends in Acts 29, for example, Acts 29 GB. I think they're brilliant. Yeah. And there's a, there's a strong camaraderie there. I think for us, London is our mission field. The great thing for us is that we can get to people pretty quickly. In other words, I think I could send out an alert to say, right, everyone, meet at Christchurch Mayfair in two hours. It's absolutely essential. You have to be there and everyone would be there because you could, you know, London's, you know, as long as it wasn't a strike day, we'd be fine. So the proximity means that we can do stuff together, uh, which is a good thing. But I do want to say we're not the only network, but I want to say if you church plant, do it with a network. Don't do it on your own. Yeah. Do it with others. If you can do it out of a church, that's fantastic. But even if you're planning out of a church, why wouldn't you want to be part of a group of people that are asking the same kinds of questions? And I think church planters need support. They need a number of things. So, Well, we've seen that through these three episodes of the importance of having, you know, A, a church planning team to get started off, yeah. but also a network to rely on yeah. through the many things that that entails. Yeah. And um, I mean, some of the stuff I think I've read that probably came from city to city at some point. There's a diagram in which there are sort of six desirable roles in the church planter's life. And I, t I took that seriously and I thought, if that's right, and it looks to me like all of those are sensible things, let's try to provide as many of those as we can for all of our church planters. So, for example, we try to provide training. Now, I think we've changed our training and we, we're, giving, we're trying to give pre-planting training more than we've given than we've given post planting training. So historically, we were giving ongoing training as as the guys were planting, and we suddenly realised, hang on a second, this is ridiculous. We need to let guys know what they need to do before they do it, rather than as they're doing it or after they've done it. So in other words, let's try and rather than trying to undo what they've done, let, let's try and get them doing it beforehand. So we're providing training, which really is it is the transferal of information, but we're trying to do that in a way that engages them and helps them and, and thinks through that through. So that's the training component. And in one sense, there's a curriculum, a mm. body of material that we're trying to pass on. A recent addition has been the provision of church planting coaches. They're alongside you. They're in your corner. They're for you. And they are wanting to help you make progress. So it's the identification of obstacles. Why is that an obstacle? What are the contributory factors? What could you do about that? How would you handle that? What do you think is the, the way forward? Right. What do you want to do? When do you want to do that by? So in other words, we've got guys who are not, they're not mentors. They're not experts. They're coaches. They're saying, what's on your plate at the moment? What, what's the way forward? How can we deal with that? So we provide coaches for all of our church planters. So curriculum coaches, a cohort. And then finally, fourth C, consultancy. So I go out to the guys in situ and to spend time with them, hopefully at least a coffee, where possible a meal. And sometimes in, to, to, to catch the family as well, where that's possible. But I'm asking them, where are you? Where, mm. you know, what's the state of play here, honestly, on the ground? Where do you want to get to, particularly by the end of the year? What, what are your ambitions? What, what's making that difficult? What's, what's your plan? Mm. What are you going to do? And that just leads to conversation. So they, in one sense, there's a, they, it's a little bit of a checkup. It's the checkup from a guy who's on your side. And, and often I'll come loaded with a, a big sheet of, of A0 paper and Sharpie pens and we'll scribble away and we'll think out loud and we'll brainstorm. And, but, but on the whole, it's providing them with reassurance mm. that what they're planning to do sounds fantastic. Yeah. What are the takeaways, I think, too, uh, 
that's worth addressing is the people that are listening that are not church planting, but are part of church congregations yeah. or people that are just generally interested in planting and seeing the gospel further in this city. Just like, what are the takeaways for? Well, I want to say, I, I want to say if someone invites you to be in a church plant, so for example, at the moment, we're at Christchurch Mayfair at the moment, and they're about to plant up into Northwest London, into Wembley Park. Scott Fury. With Scott Fury. And Scott um, is trying to recruit a team. And Matt Fuller standing at the front of church saying, we want a crowd to go from here. We want 30, 40 adults. Um, and, you know, it's like cutting off your arm, but we want to do it because it's a great thing to do. Yeah. I want to say to, to those people, and interestingly, Rosalind and I have had conversations with people who are wondering about going. I want to say he's a good guy. He's a really good guy. This is not nuts. And guess what? Commission's got your back. Mm. So Scott will get the support that he needs in order for him to flourish. He's got people who are going to provide him with a curriculum through, through training, a coach. He's got a cohort to run with and he's going to be provided with consultancy. That's more than most church pastors mm. get at almost any point in their ministry lives. Mm. And we want to say, we want to make sure that we can provide what is necessary, what we think is helpful um, to, to help those guys flourish and help their church plants flourish. So I want to say to people who think about being part of a church planting team, you're not simply being sent off into the desert alone without anything. There is a concern to do what we can, humanly speaking, to provide you with the support the planter mm. and therefore the church plant needs. And this goes back to the benefit of being part of a network, whether it's co-mission, whether it's Acts 29, Absolutely. So whatever for example, it is, city of, to city. Yeah, all of our church plants uh, our church planting coaches come from our churches. They're not all from one church. They're from a variety of, of backgrounds and from a variety of our churches. And it's a great way that some of our churches can contribute to the fulfillment of a church planting mm. vision, which is to plant churches across London. So it may be that some small churches think, I can, if we, we'll never plant. But my minister is a church planting coach to a guy who's planting. And so our church contributes the fulfillment of the commission vision to plant churches across London, because our pastor is a church planting coach and he's helping this young lad who's planting in a context very different from ours. And that's really exciting. Mm, that's amazing. I mean, the other thing too to say is that if you're thinking about being part of a church plant or that opportunity has been presented to you, there is an opportunity to go and reach people in London for the gospel. It is an adventure. It's a situation where you won't be able to blend into the background, where you will have to step up and help, where you will have to be involved in ministry, in evangelism. It's not a place where you can just go on a Sunday, sink into the seat and hide. It's a place where you get to be on the front lines of ministry in London. And it's a great experience. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Ruth Standring, who's the senior pastor at um, St. Peter's Fulham, I think I remember him saying this. I don't think I'm putting words in his mouth. I'm pretty sure. He, I mean, he said everyone should church plant at least once. And, uh, and, and Rue is not your natural risk embracing individual. I mean, but he's right. You're right on that. Um, it's a great thrill to be a part of establishing something. Every church was once a church plant. Yeah. At some point in that church's history, someone said, let's start a church here. And there must've been naysayers, but there are also people like, that would be a brilliant idea because we can reach people with the gospel. So every one of our churches was at some stage a church plant. Yeah. And I'm all for revitalization, which I think is actually just replanting a church that's declined and perhaps has died. I'm all for revitalization. 
but I'm also for church planting where that is a sensible way to reach London with the gospel. And we need people to, to, to commit to that. And, mm. and you're right. It is an adventure. You will get stretched. You will have to step up, but I don't think you'll regret it. No, I, th- I think you'll learn things about yourself, about others, about the gospel, about the Lord that you would not have learned were you in a more comfortable situation. I'm not saying it's for everyone at every stage of their lives, but it can be for more of us, yeah. more of the time than perhaps we're prepared. It's also to worth mentioning beyond CCM and planting uh, up in the Wembley area with Scott Fury mm. is that Tom Dowding is from the Bridge Battersea, uh, which is another state church similar to Vauxhall in some ways, mm. uh, is hoping to plant under the Doddington estate into almost a revitalization of a church that church plant that uh, the senior pastor has left and is looking for someone to shepherd the flock there. And Tom is looking for people to join that church plant there. Yeah. And th- I mean, that would be a fabulous thing uh, to be a part of. So they, I think the thing to say is that in socioeconomically deprived areas, the demands on pastoral care and financial resources tend to be higher. Yeah. You've put that well. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, so resourcing is even more critical in those areas. I mean, every church plant needs resources, human resources, financial resources. The question is, where are those going to come from? Yeah. The great thing for Hope Church Vauxhall is their human resources, particularly for the launch team, came initially from the globe, which was fabulous. In the same way that at the Bridge Battersea, a lot of those human resources came initially, I think, from Christchurch Mayfair, which is fabulous. Every single Christian ministry requires financial resourcing. No Christian ministry, in in one sense, is self-sustaining. They need money from somewhere. Yeah. The, the, the wealthier congregations get it internally. The poorer congregations have to get it externally. Mm. Uh, and that doesn't mean they're bad or they're worse. It just means they're, doing, they're in a different context. And it's just worth saying, no Christian ministry pays for itself. All Christian ministry costs. Yeah. So if we want Christian ministry to happen in those marginalized, deprived, socioeconomically deprived areas, someone's going to have to pay for it. Yeah. But, but everyone's going to have to pay for Christian ministry. It doesn't come for free. No. So the, the men and women who came across from the globe would have been contributing financially to what was going on at Vauxhall. I think the issue for, for places like Doddington is how, how do they finance what they're trying to do? And you know, I was part of a, an exciting discussion last Friday trying to work out how can we resource, financially resource, ministries like Doddington, which have no reasonable expectation of paying for themselves. Because you could say to Tom, Tom, Go and get a job and then you work a job and then work, become a pastor. Be co-vocational, bi-vocational. Yeah. You could say that. But the pastoral demands. That's the problem. That's the problem. You end up neglecting the people potentially. Yeah. yeah. So um, full-time ministry is almost even more critical in those areas. Not only neglecting people, I think you neglect the work of ministry. Yes. And the work of ministry in Ephesians 4 is to train, or is to equip the saints for their work of ministry. I mean, the problem with co-vocational ministry, bivocational ministry is that you're doing it on limited capacity and then you've got to choose where do you spend your time. Mm. And if you're, the, 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 the danger is the one thing that's neglected because it's never urgent is the, the training of others and the raising up of leaders and the raising up of the next generation. Discipling. Yeah. Or particularly discipling to take responsibility for stuff so that you provide ministry multiplication. Discipling elders. Discipling elders, discipling leaders who can lead others mm. um, so that because it's never urgent, whereas 
preaching on a Sunday is urgent or someone's marital breakdown is urgent. And in, in those marginalized contexts, particularly the social dysfunctionality that comes often with being in that situation, they are pressing their immediate and they're all encompassing and they're demanding and mm. you can't park it. Yeah, yeah. And that just means it's, it's difficult, isn't it? So you end up neglecting the thing you need to do to preserve the long-term health of a church because of the immediate pressing concerns. Yeah. So in the past three episodes, we focused a lot on people coming along to help out with these church plants, the pastors and their sort of training and their camaraderie that we've experienced. This is also a big task on the families of these pastors as well. In our next episode, we'll visit Hannah and Sergei Chernov from London Slavic Fellowship shortly after the anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine to hear about their church planting journey and some of the complexities in their church today as a result of the conflict. Yeah, it's great. We'll get a different perspective. I think we've gone, we've talked to three church planters, but we didn't talk to their families. Yeah. And so wonderfully to be able to get Hannah in and um, to hear what it's like to have come from Ukraine, come over here in order to reach the Slavic people with a Russian-speaking ministry um, to move a family of five over with three young kids. It'd be great to hear her perspective, what that's been like, the joys, the challenges. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, we look forward to that. Thanks for joining us on this episode, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>